Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. I haven't screwed it up yet. Well, what do you mean, Jim? I haven't screwed up the year. It's coming, I assure you, it's coming. How's everybody doing out there tonight? Let me make sure that we're on the air here. Yes, we are on the air. How's everybody doing? We're going to be talking about uh, smart goals tonight. They're pitfalls for the safety professionals. Last week I tried doing this, but we had technical issues. We couldn't do it. So I didn't post everything. I took down the videos and everything else. I don't know what happened, but we're going to do it tonight. And we don't really talk about politics here. We do in a general sense, but we're going to have to talk about that. Just talk about it just a little bit tonight on the show. All right. And uh, lack of empathy. That all mean that means a lot. So people not having empathy, and we wonder why uh, we have issues. All right. So here we go. Just getting set up here. All right, so on the political end, we have Chris Christie ends his anti Trump crusade. Uh, because So he uh, the bottom line is he was not uh, eligible to take part in the debate on Monday up in New Hampshire. So what he ended up doing was, uh, right, uh, or I, the primary, I should say. Uh, but uh, what he ended up, so he ended up just saying, hey, look, that's it. We're done. Cut bait on here. Uh, basically, in 2016, when he ran for president, uh, and with that open field, he ended up with a boatload of debt, and he ended up having to have Donald Trump bail him out basically. So Donald Trump put a, uh, did a fundraiser for him in 2016 to alleviate his campaign debt. Uh, and that was successful. Then Trump became president and he was involved a little bit. I forget what role he had in the administration. He left, uh, you know, and you know, there were other stuff going on, this and that, you know, now they have a falling out and, 
Now, well, you can love or hate Donald Trump. It seems to go either one, one or two ways. Either you love him or you hate him. And, the you know, he's out. So he did not make a major endorsement or an endorsement on anybody. He said they basically he was on The View last week. I ended up watching uh, that, unfortunately. And he, uh, and oh, come on, it's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, and he ended up with, uh, he ended up with the, uh, uh, how can I say it? He said basically nobody's challenging Trump in the Republican field. And but what I like to point out is this. Uh, regardless of your opinions on everything, we're going to face fact. Let's try to face fact. The one who started with the whole bomb- bombastic attitude was Chris Christie. Look at what he when he was governor, especially during the first term in New Jersey. He was out there with everybody, you know, uh, yelling and screaming, acting like uh, Donald Trump eventually was. And what ended up happening, in my opinion, one man's opinion, one observer's opinion. And remember, I was involved in politics when this happened. Uh, what happened? Uh, what happened was the uh, President uh, Trump, my opinion went and adopted a lot of Christie's style because that is what got Chris Christie uh, elected here because we were tired in New Jersey, right, of, oh, a very nice, you know, person up there, very presidential, acting like governor. And then in the back door, back uh, alleyway, making all different types of deals in the dark rooms, used to be smoke-filled, not anymore. Uh, rooms making deals and doing this thing and that thing. And we had uh, one friend of the program here, I believe he is a friend, uh, who was governor, who you know, had, uh, and those days it was a scandal. Today it was would have never been a scandal. And then you had another governor that was, you know, all different types of shenanigans goes back and, you know, accusations of voter fraud in 1993. Uh, one of my friends did a expose on this and, you know, people were tired of these shenanigans. So they wanted some straight shooter like Chris Christie to go up there and tell you what he felt. Agree with him, disagree with him, let the chips fall where they may. My opinion Donald Trump got adopted a lot of his techniques, saw what was going on in 2012. Trump ran a little bit, but wasn't official, came back in 2016, and the rest is history, so to speak. So for him to go out and criticize Trump, it's, and the way he acts, I don't know, uh, with, uh, with that. Uh, now, what I don't think is smart for Christie to do is to go out there and trash everybody else in the field. All right. So he was reportedly caught trashing uh, uh, Nikki Haley uh, in, on a hot microphone. So his words was, Christie caught on hot mic, reportedly said, going to get smoked. Right, and Chris Christie's long shot parents initial bid. This is from Politico.com. Uh, the former New Jersey governor never won for softening his elbows. Let it be known how little he thinks of his soon to be former competitors just as he exited the political stage. She's going to get smoked, the former New Jersey governor said of former UN ambassador Newt Nikki Haley. 
although he did not reference her by name. And you and I know, uh, both know, quote, she is not, not up to this. Haley stands again from most of Chrissy's departure from the contest. And uh, I don't know. Uh, his whole thing is nobody in his campaign was anti-Trump. Uh, that did not uh, go over too well with him. I don't know if it was the message or the man on this one uh, with this. Now, second one. All right, and we're going to be talking about politics. It's an election year. I used to follow it a lot. Now, not so much because you could go nuts watching this. And as I told somebody else, somebody said, Jimmy, why don't you have a political podcast? You'd be really good. You're with your knowledge and your history, blah, blah, blah. You'd probably be really good. I, and what, what do I always say? If you can figure out a way of me making money off of a political podcast, I'm there. And what do you think happens? Right? They run away. They scurry away when you say that. Just like if you have someone who wants to do a business deal with you, right? I, you know, what I learned was, let me see your pro, uh, let me see your tax returns for the last three years. Or I asked them a question, do you owe money to the IRS? Right? You ask them that, and then they go running away because uh, nobody wants to answer that kind of stuff. And uh, then you hear, and then you got the other thing is where they, and I shared this story with my son yesterday, and I shared it here on the program several times. Hey, Jim, I don't think that's a good safety rule. Why don't you go up there and argue it? And then argue it, and then in front of whoever the decision maker is, and you know that decision maker is ready to fire whoever challenges their authority. So they try to set you up with that. And it's sort of like that with politics. Well, we're not going to say anything controversial. So guess what? We want you to say it controversial, Jim, and we'll back you up. Well, you know what? I don't have time for it. So, uh, yeah, that happens. Believe me. Now, back in September, when we were at the Hop co uh, Conference there in uh, the uh, in Orlando with the Safety FM people, Jay Allen, Todd Conklin, and the whole co uh, no uh, cast of experts that were involved in that uh, Conklin Conference, right uh, there in Orlando. Right. One of the things, and I don't think that uh, I'm saying anything proprietary here, and if I am, I'm sorry, but you know, how the five principles of human and organizational performance, how they can apply to everything. Right? And it's, a, it's like a philosophy. It's not a system. You have plenty of systems. But this is not a system here uh, with uh, 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 here. And Right, this is not a, a new system of uh, things like our safety people. Right, something happens, so we got to fix something. Right, so what happens? You go and fix something, and then uh, lasts for a month, and then five weeks later, something else. Oh, now we're going to have a new thing, and it goes on and on. Then you have people going and investing behavior-based safety, behavior-based this program, that program, and it gets repackaged into another program, behavior-based safety. What does it come down to? Blame the worker, blame everybody but management, blame, 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 and shame, and retrain. And that's what it degrades down to because the people, right? So you're a manager and you feel like, hey, everything's on me. So what we have to do 
as I have to go and I have to fix things. I have to say something to upper level management, right? And because they don't want to hear the thing, well, groove no happens or stuff happens. You figure it. You know what I mean? So, and then that happens. Well, guess what? We saw this on the national stage for about the last week, maybe a little bit more. And that was with the one uh, here, our Lloyd Austin, our uh, Secretary of Defense, all right, here. And you got all these commentators out there, right? Uh, and this is from, again, the Politico. President Joe Biden had a two-pronged reaction when he first learned that his defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, had secretly been hospitalized for four days. The first part was, is he okay? The second part, how could this happen? Meaning not being uh, uh, informed. Because apparently there's some laws and rules in place that say, well, the person has to be, uh, no, the president has to be informed, blah, blah, blah. All right, now, let's apply the five principles of Hoffier. All right, just so I don't mess them up, let me get out the list. Five Hoff principles, and by the way, it is Wednesday, so we're going to go through this on Wednesday. What the, uh, is. so it is Wednesday, hold on. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Learning is vital. Learning is vital. All right, so learning is vital. We can arrange these things any old way, and I do this as a tongue-in-cheek here type of thing. So let's talk about them. People make mistakes. The first principle is an acceptance that people are human, and being human makes means we make mistakes. Number two, blame fixes nothing. When things go wrong, people want to blame someone. Simple explanations. It's always as simple. And what happens when you blame something? You don't fix anything. Context drives behavior. Learning is vital. And response matters. Now, I'm sorry. We know here, Jimmy Polzel, what, dri- what, what drives Jimmy Polzel nuts? False outrage. Drives a lot of people nuts, but they don't, but there, but what I find happened you now over the three hundred and some programs here, and what I've been the the the, the phenomenal uh, stuff I've learned over the last three years is this: we try the key to successfully talking with people, to communicating, to persuading, to talk about the issues. It doesn't matter however you want to say it. Is this? If you could articulate what's in the person's heart, then you're going to be much more successful. And that's what we've done here. We try to articulate, and this is what the advantage is with HOP. It articulates what people really know, what their real-world experience is. Now, let's look at this. And by the way, I'm, I'm reading all, and this is what really annoyed me about this whole thing is this. Uh, nobody in this, and you know, now they're saying, you know, there's way after the fact, right? The first part and the political, uh, no, is Austin okay and how can this happen? All right. 
That's not what was communicated for the last week. Anywhere in there. I've been reading all the articles here. Few and far between. All right? What would have been nice was, you know what? We had a situation here. This is what the president or someone, and there should say. We had a situation where we had a cabinet secretary. He got sick. Real bad health issue here. And maybe it slipped his mind to make all the proper notifications and everything else because this was a real crisis for him personally. And the nice thing about our government is, is that we have a lot of capacity here. We have a lot of capacity where if something bad happens or something like this happens or he does report, he's MIA, whatever we want to describe it. We have other people lined up. Well, it really wasn't impacted our national security or anything else. It was more of a pro forma type of situation. But, you know, we want, we want to say this to this. We hope that the secretary makes a complete recovery. We hope that the, and we pray, you know, if you, if you believe in prayer, you go out and pray for the secretary of defense, that he makes a complete recovery, that his family is okay and everything else. And, you know, that's uh, basically it. And by the way, we're going to use this opportunity for educating the public on prostate cancer. And you know, if you want, there is a, a handout here that we're going to go to. And uh, since you're their government, you know, they probably have their own handouts already from somewhere else. And it's from, uh, you know, we have this one from the American Cancer Society, Prostate Cancer Fact Sheet, right? And no, this, uh, no, the Secretary Austin, he's a 70-year-old African-American uh, male. So obviously he is at a higher risk of getting prostate cancer, and but all men are at risk for it. And then maybe you go through and you talk about some of the prevention methods that are out there with this and then screening, and then you stress screening and early detection uh, here and then some of the signs and symptoms and maybe some treatment. And this way, you have a moment of high impact and you go into this and you say, you know what, really important you go to your doctor and get screened for this, especially if you're at higher risk. That would have been the correct way of handling this, some empathy and everything else thrown in there. All right, now, the fact that he had prostate cancer, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV or the internet, but I know a lot about stuff, all right? Some stuff. And this is one of the things because one of my family members had a scare about a year and a half, two years ago, and we had, uh, no, and I had been asked by another family member, hey, let's go, what do you know about this? Let's do some research on this, and let's try to come up with some informed decisions with this where we could all get together on this. So this is how I found out I researched uh, a lot of this stuff. All right. And uh, basically, he had been, my understanding, based on the publicly available information, was that he was diagnosed with this fairly recently. And he went in for surgery, which indicates to me that this is probably not stage one cancer, maybe stage two cancer. So this is a little bit more advanced. He might have had it for a number of years. Now, this is what we call adding context 
to the stuff not being reported. Right? So the guy probably has stage two cancer. All right. That's the context. End of the year. He probably goes, and I'm, I don't, I'm, there's a little speculation here, but just a little speculation because we deal with people and we know end of the year, people have some vacation days saved up. Now, not a lot going on in the office. So you go out there and you say, ah, you know what? I'm going to quietly take care. Hey, I'm just taking a couple of days off. Here are the keys to the file cabinet. We're going to blah, blah, blah. And then you go out and you probably thought, well, we're going to quickly take care of this. This is like minor surgery to do whatever here. And then go out and, uh, you know, and then he had complications. And now he has complications. I think I'm willing to forgive the guy for this, right? Because that's got kind of person I try to be is forgiving here is okay. Yeah. He didn't make the necessary notifications, but on the other hand, look at what he's facing personally. He didn't make the notifications that he was going to be out. Okay. All right. So again, that's all context, right? Blame fixes nothing. Well, shame on him. He didn't report it. Okay, great. He didn't report this. Do better next time. Empathy. People make mistakes. He made a mistake. Okay. That's all right. He made a mistake. He apologized for it. Hey, we won't do that again. Blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, this is a real serious thing, Jim. Well, yeah, it is serious. He didn't... uh, No, you have procedures. But the thing is, how many times do we bend rules? Do we break rules? We, uh, no, rules are administrative things. Remember on that hierarchy of controls things that we talk about. Rules are an administrative function. All right. There we go. The least reliable way of doing anything is to make a rule. All right. Response matters. Their response matters. They look like, uh, this is how I see it with this. All right. This is the way I see it. You have both sides of the aisle jumping down this guy's throat. Well, you didn't do this. You didn't make the notification. You didn't do uh, all this all, all this crap. Nothing happened. The system allowed us to fail safely here. Pardon me. Allowed us to fail safely here. All right. Yeah, there were no issues. Why are we going after this guy? A little bit of empathy here. And we wonder with people, well, this, this could have been a home run for everybody involved. Both sides of the political aisle said they unite rather than unite in a positive way of maybe giving you some moment of high impact. We could talk about prostate cancer. We could talk about this. Hey, okay, we hope he gets better. Make it into a positive thing. They're both. Oh, well, uh, you know, he didn't do this. He didn't do that. Come on, guys. We wonder why that belief we have a problem in this country with everybody at each other's throats all the time. Everyone's afraid to move. No, we have a lot of good people in this country that could probably run this country confidently, both sides of the aisle here. Maybe they'd be more in the middle area, maybe. All right. That could do, but they're afraid because they're going to get jumped, they're jumping people down, down their throats and everything. Come on. 
Now, I'm going to say this. I hope the guy makes a complete recovery, right? I'm going to tell you, go on over to a legitimate charity like American Cancer Society for prostate cancer and things of that nature. I Yes, I do have a family member that works for a cancer charity and uh, a close family member. Uh, no, it's important to get legitimate information and very you know, important information there on all this stuff, uh, regardless of cancer. Make it into a positive thing. And I think they missed a huge opportunity there with this. And let's try, let's try not to be at each other's throats, right? And I'm going to go to commercial break, and we're going to come back with smart goals. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yes, I am your father. All right. Now, what happened? Now, my introduction is smart goals. All right. Back in the refining industry, I was a contractor for many, many, many years. Close, when I left it, over half my career was in oil refineries, oil terminals, uh, petrochemical situations, spills, the whole nine yards on that. And one of the things we had to always come up with were SMART goals. And what are they, right? Specific Measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. And we used to struggle a lot of times at the beginning, right, especially with some of my clients on writing these SMART goals because what happened is this. You need to have, if you're going to be successful with SMART goals, it has to be a team effort. You, the safety professional, cannot come up with SMART goals for the company. Why? Because most of the time, you're going to need everyone else to do things. So, for example, a smart goal that a safety professional at a company might be able to come up with is we're going to rewrite a safety program. We're going to redo a trainings program. We're going to uh, do all this stuff where I can control. 
and we ended up doing that a lot of times. Okay, we had we saw a hole in our uh, system, uh, weakness or something. Like that. Or maybe it could be regulatory. It could be common sense. It could be industry standard. It could be whatever. And okay, I can handle that. Maybe on the paperwork end, right? But we remember, remember, paperwork is only one small part of safety. You have to get the whole team involved in a SMART goal. Now, what ends up happening is this. If you do not have this consensus and you have SMART goals, you run into problems. Because uh, you know, uh, if you're relying, for example, on people reporting the, no, and that whole behavior-based safety, we're going to report things and we're going to record things, you need other people doing it. You need the supervisors doing it. You need the foreman doing it. You need the workers doing it. You need everybody doing it. So this is like a bad thing to do. Some of the pitfalls, in my opinion, is some of the pitfalls that I see is this. You write SMART goals, and those SMART goals get whipped out at some time. And what ends up happening is, is that they get it. Hey, you didn't meet your goal. Well, again, we just went over human organizational performance. What was the context? Why didn't you hit the goal? Things of that nature. And what often happens more than not, my experience is this. We don't want to hear about your excuses why you didn't hit your goal. Well, you got, you know, well, we uh, had an agreed upon goal. You didn't allocate the resources for me meeting that goal. Or there were a whole bunch of other things that came on, accidents, injuries, it doesn't matter what it is. Or my job changed and everything. How are we supposed to meet that goal? So if you're a safety professional, you got to be very careful that it's not you coming up with the goals because you need everybody together. Because if they don't meet the goal, you're going to get the blame. Most organizations, I'm sorry, most organizations are not run by fully self-actualized, non-psychopathic persons. The way it is, in my experience, if you work with an organization where everybody's fully self-actualized, people care about each other and everything else, you're working for a wonderful organization, don't ever leave. All right, psychologically safe and everything else. What's what is a business's primary goal? Again, it's a philosophy. Is it to make money or is it to provide a service? And that service could be all different types to come in many different forms. Primarily, it's to make money. That's the way it is. So take it for what it is. You don't meet a goal whatever, you make it up, that's what's going to be the primary thing is to make goals. And that's the whole safety third kind of thing is to make money uh, type of thing. And I say safety fourth. But anyway, I don't want to get off on a tangent. So they got to be specifics. Pick a specific goal, right? Get people on, well, this is what we're going to do, X, Y, and Z. A good one might be, rather than uh, say we're going to do so many near miss and good catch reports, we're going to do this. Pick a training program. 
We're going to train the workforce in X, Y, and Z. You can give us a call, 845-269-5772, because I am lining up annual training programs for all my customers this week, right? Uh, some of them didn't get back to me, end of the year kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, everything can So now we are in a program. I have customers in annual programs. Then number two, measurable. How are you going to measure this stuff? Training programs are good. You just give them out and they do training. Good, right? They do the training. Now, what we want to do is how effective is that training? Is that training being used in the field? So if you have a whole training program on, let's say, personal protective equipment, are your pers- is your personal protective equipment being used better? You being used more appropriate. Things of that nature. You don't have to go out there and remind the same five people to put on hard hats or safety glasses or whatever. Is it being effective? Is it measurable? Yeah, we did the training, but what's the impact? No, you can easily measure that most of the time. Achievable. Is it likely going to be achievable? Are you setting that goal up on a pedestal somewhere? Oh, yeah, we can... And it's high in the sky, and you can't know. You have to say, well, is this an achievable goal? This is what the idea of getting everybody on board is, right? If, if you have everybody on board at the organization with your goal, now you're more likely to achieve that goal depending on what it is on that. Then what's relevant, right? Here's what you need to think about uh, the big picture. Is it relevant, so, for example, uh, uh, no, uh, find out and do a needs assessment. I would tell you what, go and do what's called a learning team. We talked about learning teams already. This is the everyday learning team thing. Hey, what do we do new on that everyday learning team, a.k.a. audit? Well, how do we do work? How is it done? How can we improve it? Number one. Number two, you can have a... Uh, incident learning team. You have an incident, it's a response to an incident. You go out there and you figure things out. Oh, okay, hey, now we're able to do this. We're able to set a goal maybe because we had an incident or uh, something. Then you have a management of change. What's up and coming in the field? That Now we can do that type of uh, thing. And then is it time bound? Usually we give and you say, well, we can have this achieved in one year, in six months, in two years. Hey, your goal could be two years, but you have to, but the fact of the matter is, is this, you need to go and make, get everybody involved and make sure that it's achievable because when ha- this is what happens. Well, it's really nice uh, that we have these smart goals, but we never achieve them. And guess what? And you're to blame. No one's going to take the blame, uh, with this stuff, uh, no one's going to take the blame for this stuff if it doesn't happen. So you got to be very careful with this. I've seen this go you know, really south, you know, really horribly, because people don't uh, put in the effort for this stuff, don't put in anything in with it. So be smart. Uh, I'm Now come to think, let me see if I have a list of smart goals here that we used to do. Uh, I'm going to do this. Let's Google safety smart goals. Maybe we have some things. Yeah, I was prepared, but 
I'm doing this, and you start talking, and here we go. Uh, so this is from the California Department of Industrial Relations, and what they have, identifying measurable safety goals, right? What to avert, avert total recordable incident rates. Really uh, important thing. Why? Because accidents happen at random. That would be a very dangerous thing. Total recordable incident rate. Number of incidents. Because what happens? That's the same thing as zero accidents, zero incidents, zero illnesses sign out there. People are going to cover things up, right? And usually this is what happens. Entries get covered up, right? Then the manager gets promoted or leaves the company two or three years later. And now a new manager comes in, and guess what? All of a sudden, injury rates go up. Why? Because things are being reported. Happened many times uh, to us. Well, here's some outcome-based activity, and this is from uh, Ohio.gov. Right? Uh, so here we have safety goals and measurements. And these are all <laughs> outcome-based, activity-based, safety goals and measurements. Development of specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-sensitive goals is important to the success of any safety and health program. Unfortunately, uh, many people make the mistake of focusing solely on the desired outcomes in the development of their goals. They fail to develop activity-based goals uh, that will help them to get those outcomes. Okay, so you try to do activity-based goals with this, right? To do things, and you set the stage to create safe a safe environment, safety, psychological safety, safety in there where you're going to be able to get reports and uh, set the stage, so to speak, so you have a better outcome. Now, they fail to develop activity-based goals. To increase the chances of success, to develop both activity-based and outcome-based goals. Examples, uh, and here's, here they give me examples. An outcome-based goal, I can guarantee you this, you're going to fail. Percent reduction in OSHA recordable injuries. Guess what? If that's what your goal is, how the hell are you going to get there? How, is that achievable? Percent reduction in workers' compensation claims. Percent reduction in workers' compensation costs. Reduction in vehicle accidents per mile. These are all dangerous things. You got to be very careful with. I would avoid improvement in corporate audit results. Okay, we can do. What What does that mean, though? Reduction in observed hazards. Well, well guess what? If you're going to be measuring something, I can guarantee you, you're not going to see as much. It's not going to be as important. Reduction in average cost per claim. That's very adversarial. Frequency of all injuries and illnesses, lost time injuries, severity, absentee rates, productivity per employee rates, production error rates, incidents of workplace violence, incidents of accidental releases, self-audits for regulatory compliance, and going on statistical tracking, all this other stuff. Very difficult. OSHA audit, no citations. Okay, great. It all depends on, you know, if OSHA comes out and audits you, they're doing it for a reason, number one. Number two, it all depends on 
the expertise and the focus of that auditor. They have their own biases put in there. And I'm not saying anything against SOSHA, right? So, for example, if you have an electrician, a person who's uh, uh, an electrician by trade doing your safety audit, from even from OSHA, where do you think they're going to focus on? Electrical. Let's say that there is a complaint about electrical stuff in the OSHA office. They're more likely to send you someone who's familiar with electrical stuff to do the audit, the compliance professional with that. Now, an activity-based goal. Investigations need to be completed on time. That's a good, uh, good one, right? Investigation identifies causes. Investigation identifies an action plan. I don't know. We all have debates on this, right? Causes and what causes an accident. Are you implementing those action plans? Are safety meetings held at schedule? This is one of the, uh, especially when you're dealing with an accelerated schedule and you're, uh, right, and you're under a lot of scheduling pressures, getting to hold the safety meeting at the same time every week and consistently could be a problem because everyone's in a hurry. Agenda promoted in advance. How I interpret that is, do you have a plan? Safety records updated and posted, okay. Inspections conducted. Inspection findings brought to closure. Management safety communications. Management safety participation. All these things set the stage. Near miss, near hit reports. Disciplinary violation reports. Right? All this, some of it's negative. Going on and on and on. But you're basically setting the stage for success with an activity-based goal. So I'm going to save that one uh, there with that. And that's all I have on SMART goals. Just be very careful with the SMART goal that you choose. That's the moral of the story. We're going to go to commercial break here as I set up the next. Have you listened or watched uh, the Safety War Show? It does stream live on, on the radio and um, on the streamer emers that we have. So if you have not taken a listen to Jim Bozel and what the hell he's doing every evening with uh, Safety Wars, I would, I would strongly encourage you to, um, to take a view or take a listen, um, whichever option is available for you, and take a listen to what the hell he has going on. Uh, it's definitely, it will take some deep dives and some information that you might be interested in. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow, Safety Today. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Pozel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Okay, we are back. This is from, and I'm going to do a share screen on here. Oh, we are already doing a share screen. Okay. Uh, All right. Here we have, this is going to be a good one. 
OSHA finally has updated. It's uh, started posting 2024 press releases. But I'm going to give you a, a hint. We normally go over the Department of Labor. That in this case was nine days ahead of OSHA. Issuing OSHA press releases. So you go figure. A 36-year-old motor mower operator drowned after the mower rolled over in a pond, pinning the worker underwater. Federal workplace safety investigators determined the employer could have avoided the incident by following required safety measures outlined in the equipment operator's manual. Again, uh, I was asked to evaluate some equipment. What's the first thing I did? Where's the operating manual? Oh, well, Jimmy, we don't have that. Well, we need to get it. What's the name of the equipment? Let me go and look it up. Very important that you do that. Uh, an investigation into the July 4th, 2023 incident by U.S. Uh, by OSHA found the employee of a certain company was riding a some zero-turn lawnmower in a residential neighborhood when it tipped over into a water retention pond. Investigators learned that the machine's rollover protection system was not engaged while operating on a sloping embankment near the pond and the equipment was operated on a slope that exceeded limitations defined in the equipment manual. OSHA cited the employer for one willful violation for not having a rollover protection system in use for operating the equipment on a steep slope and one serious violation for not providing potable water for drinking. uh, Again, remember, they had a heat stress uh, focus here. So, got to remember that. Uh, The agency cited the same company after a similar fatal incident uh, in July 2015, in that investigation, OSHA issued five serious citations and a proposed $18,200 in penalties. Once again, the company's failure to, and I'm not mentioning the name of the company, you can go look it up, to implement required safety measures has cost the life of a worker, said OSHA Area Office Director Danielle Jindra in Tampa. Employers are responsible for ensuring the correct equipment is used for each uh, change in the work environment, and that workers are protected from hazards with that. Now, let's see what we have here. Hey, they got this. Now, right? Okay, I always love it when they put up links. Okay, citation one, item one. Potable water was not provided in all places of employment for drinking, washing of the person, cooking, washing of foods, washing of cooking or eating utensils, washing of food preparation. On or about July 4th, at the work site, they're working on July 4th, man. Uh, The employer did not provide drinking water for employees conducting landscaping activities in high heat conditions. Again, focus on heat illnesses. How much does water cost? Right, well, I could guarantee it costs less than $10,046. Citation to item one, type of violation, willful serious. Now, they're saying an X mark. Now, let's see if we can find this, right? The employer did not furnish. This is a general duty clause of violation here. And as a review, what's a general duty clause violation? OSHA has to approve four different things. The employer failed to keep the workplace free of a hazard to which employees of that employer were exposed. The hazard was recognized. The hazard was causing or likely to cause uh, death or serious physical harm, and there was a feasible, useful method to correct the hazard. Now, what I would suggest, especially if you have to write emails to whoever, 
that uh, as a general duty clause violation that you include this, right, in that, uh, in that letter. I had to do that a couple of weeks ago with somebody. I said, look, there's no OSHA regulation for this or recommendation. However, this is a recognized hazard, and we're failing to keep uh, the workplace free of it. The hazard is recognized. I'm recognizing it. Number three, if this thing causes a problem, it's going to be death or serious harm. And by the way, this is how we fix it. Right? And uh, here it is. We have what is called an Xmark lawnmower. Apparently it rolled over. So let's go over and let's see. Do I'm going to, again, I do this on the air because I want to see how quick we could find the uh, Xmark general mower safety tips. One, read and understand your operator manual. Two, do not add gasoline to a running hot engine. Do not operate the lawnmower when consuming alcohol, wear appropriate clothing, pick stones, toys, and debris, or debris, as my mother would say, from the lawn to prevent injuries and damage to from flying objects. Never allow children to be passengers there. Uh, keep children and pets at a safe distance. Right. Be careful when mowing on slopes. And follow directions, right, uh, on this. My point here is this. Very easy to look up the information. We have owner's manuals on top of owner manuals on top of owner manuals here. Well, like about it, everything is one page long. The idea here is this. The instruction manuals are available are 100% available here. I don't know. That's usually what I hear. I'm not saying this is necessarily uh, what happened here, but that's usually what I hear. All right. So among other methods, a feasible and acceptable abatement method to correct this hazardous condition would be to ensure operators are not operating on the edge near drop-offs, steep embankments, uh water ditches and rocks, ensure the roll bar is raised and in the locked position while operating the mower. Develop and implement an operator training program. Yeah, you have to train people on how to use a lawnmower. Prior to the use of the mower, determine the angle of the slopes to be moved with the slope indicator. There's a slope indicator. And only mow slopes that are within the limitations of the mower. That was $156,000. They hit them up for the maximum. So what's my point here? Some of the other things. So here you have a lawnmower. You're going to say, well, Jimmy, I don't think we need to train people on how to use a lawnmower. Yeah, you do. Got to train everybody on everything. Uh, it's just the way it is. Or, uh, no, as part of the interview process, show me how to inspect the ladder. Tell me about a ladder. I used to go... When I would interview people that were safety professionals, I would do stuff like that. Oh, what are you looking for on a ladder? Here is a picture of a job site. Explain to me what some of the hazards are here. Uh, well, uh, well uh, you know, that's what I would do. Again, training on it. Take them out. Hey, go through the instruction manual. 
Go through, have them sign a safety meeting form. Oh, yeah, we were, this is how you do it, blah, blah, blah. And But the thing is this. You don't have them sign something and send them on their merry old way, la, 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 la. And then you go down and, you know, go down to the uh, coffee shop there. I won't mention the one, that Seattle-based one. And, you know, hang out there all day, drinking coffee and eating uh, 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 chocolate croissants. You got to go back there and audit the person and say, "Hey, uh, you know what's the issue here? Uh, you know, let's audit them. Are they doing this? Because I told them to do something, they didn't do it. That sort of thing, you, right? So, it is now. You may say, "Well, this is like a joke." You know, training people on how to do all uh, simple things that they should know. Guess what? It's going to get worse. There is an article up here tonight. Uh, that I uh, was going to share, I didn't share, on uh, people not being able, right, right the military especially, uh, is coming up with uh, shortfalls in recruitment and all because people want, the kids aren't interested in it, that career. Okay, number one. Number two, if they do get them in there, they have to train them on everything. Why? Because they don't know. They know computers. They know smartphones, Right. They know video games. They don't know how to go out there and do simple, basic things. The way it is. That's why I'll put in the plug for the Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts help, helps kids a lot of times learning this stuff. But anyway, that's all I got for tonight. Uh, and uh, no, I'm trying to keep these under one hour, these programs. And uh, for Safety Wars, it's uh, Jim Pozel. Uh, we're going to uh, do our outro here, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.